Haven't you had to do that before? We shut things down and reboot them and get them to work better, right? Sometimes your computer gets bogged down or your cell phone gets bogged down and things aren't working right, and so you have to reboot. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, uh, we are in a series right now called Reboot, and it's a great series to kind of get your year started off on the right on the right foot. We're talking about rebooting our finances, rebooting our spiritual life, rebooting our health, uh, rebooting our relationships. And so uh, welcome to Emmanuel. So excited that you uh, braved the weather and you got out here. And that means you really want to be here. That's very exciting. And so anybody here from the Franklin campus? Anybody here? Awesome, awesome. Uh, Those of you who don't know, we had to cancel services over at the Franklin campus today because there was a power, some type of power surge there, and it kind of fried. Uh, fried some of the electricity, and so uh, we're figuring that out. So welcome here today if you're from the Franklin campus. And so, uh, yeah, so we're in a series called Reboot, and uh, really what we said is this series is all about you, but it's not about you. You say, what do you mean? Well, uh, we want you to improve your life, okay? Anybody believe you can improve your life 1%, 2%, 5% this year? Yeah, hopefully you believe that. Hopefully you're an optimist and you're not a pessimist, right? Uh, but, uh, and so we want to help you improve your life, but what's the purpose? For what reason? For you alone? Well, no. We said that you are part of a larger story, that you are not the main character of the story, that Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's actually the main character of this story. And as a king, he invites you to be part of his story. And if you take the word history and you break it up into two words, you get his story. That's what we find ourselves in. That's the story we find ourselves living in. God has been gracious enough and kind enough to invite us in and say, hey, do you want to play a role in the story that I'm telling? You're not the main character. You're a character, just one of seven billion. But I'm the main character, and the story is really about me and what I want to do on earth. In fact, the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray every day, it's very simple, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and if you're from a Catholic background, you're very familiar with this prayer, because you say it all the time in church. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A very simple prayer. Acknowledging that Jesus is the king, and he has a kingdom. Now, that's very interesting. A king has a will. A king has a set of objectives. A king has certain things that he wants to do. Does that, does that make sense? That's the way a kingdom is run. And our job as people of faith is to inquire about what the king wants to do on earth as it is in heaven. And if you watch the news, or if you pay attention to what's going on in our world today, isn't it true that God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven? You agree with this? Right? There's all kinds of bad stuff going on, so there's a lot of work to be done. So God wants to use you and I to partner with him to achieve or accomplish his will on earth as it is done in heaven. Does that make sense? And so that's why this story is about you, but it's really not about you. So we're to wake up every day and pray this prayer and say, God, what can I do? How can I partner with you? What are you doing in this world, and how can you use my life to fulfill your plans? Not exciting? That's what eternal life really is all about. So, so many times Christ followers and people of faith and pastors and churches have reduced Christianity down to going to heaven after you die. Now that's exciting. Is anybody excited about going to heaven? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. But guess what? Tomorrow's Monday morning. <laughs> okay, we got to live this life. We got bills to pay and kids to raise and jobs to go. I mean, there's, thing, there's a life to be lived here. Christianity is about living right now with God, performing his will on earth as it is done in heaven. And that's really what this series is all about. Rebooting your life so that you can be the best possible partner with God to do his work. And so last week we talked about the fact that it's going to take a lot of energy to do that. 
Does it not take energy to, to, to do work, to, to be totally focused on the good deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do? Yes or no? Absolutely, right? And if you're always exhausted and if you trash your body and you're always eating fried foods and you don't exercise and you don't get proper rest, you're going to be a terrible partner with God. And so the idea of rebooting your health is not so that you can look good in a bikini on the beach on spring break. <laughs> it's not so that you can fit into a tighter pair of jeans or something like that or look better. It's not about vanity. It's about value. It's about you adding value to the kingdom of God. And so last week I challenged you to, to get your diet under control and to get your exercise routine under control and to get your proper rest. How'd you guys do? Anybody, do, anybody try? Go for it. Those of you who were here last week, some of you were like, nope, didn't do a thing. <laughs> Okay, anyway, all I can do is be the mouthpiece, you know what I mean? I can't, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't do the work for you. I can only do the work on my end. Anyway, so I did see some of you in the gym, by the way, and I saw some of you on, uh, on social media talking about drinking 64 ounces, running to the bathroom all day long, and you were thanking me about that, so, but I bet you had more energy. Yeah, all right. So let's talk about another issue today that really could make you an effective partner or a very ineffective partner, and that is the issue of money. That is the issue of finances. It really does take money to do ministry. This is something as a pastor I have to continue to repeat. It takes a lot of money to make a big difference. Think about this room right here. Millions of dollars has been spent to create this, this room right here. Over at the Banta campus, millions of dollars have been spent to create the Banta campus experience. At Franklin, half a million dollars has already been spent to create the environment over at Franklin with the projectors and the lights and all the different things that will transfer over to the, to the permanent campus when we build it. But we're going to spend millions of dollars. Doing it. it takes a lot of money to create environments where people can hear the word of God preached. Right? I was, on, I was texting with my friend Bill Llewellyn, who, who really char, uh, heads things up over in Nicaragua with Hope Road. And I said to him, I said, hey, how much does it cost to build just one well? Just one well to, to, to get clean water to a bunch of people. And he texted back and he said, if you're going to build, dig the well and put a tower and add the filtration system, total cost is $13,000. And that'll give about 3,000 people clean water to drink. Does it take money to do ministry, yes or no? Does it take money to be a blessing to people in this world, yes or no? It takes a lot of money to be a blessing to people. And if you don't have, the, if you don't have your finances in order, you're not going to be a great partner with God. You're not going to be able to participate. There's some of you who wanted to give some money to, get, to give clean water to people in Nicaragua. You had the heart for it. It wasn't a heart issue. It was just you didn't have any extra in your pocket. Does that make sense? See, in your notes, what I want to share with you today is simple. A lot of us have just gotten sloppy with the money God has given us to manage. And because we've, gotten, we've slipped in with some bad habits financially, we're not, we're not in a position to say, oh, oh, there's an opportunity to give people clean water? Oh, I'll give to it, even if it's 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Because we, we've gotten ourselves into a, a tricky spot financially. It takes money to do ministry. In fact, in your notes, the way I wrote it is, is this. When your finances are out of order, God cannot use you to be a blessing to other people. You can't do it. There's a great story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10 about a guy that was mugged and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 that a Levite and a priest both walked right by this guy. In fact, Jesus says they saw the guy and they switched sides. <laughs> they went to the other side of the road and they walked right on by. But there was a third gentleman that came along and he was a Samaritan. And he saw the guy bleeding, robbed, destitute, left for dead. He got down there and he bandaged up his wounds and he put oil on his wounds. 
put the guy on his, on his donkey, walked him into town, checked him into a hotel. Back then they called it an inn. Paid the bill. Watch what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 35. The next day, which means he either stayed the night in the hotel with that guy or he lived close by, went home and came back the next morning. We're not sure. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. See, he had extra. He had extra. Let me get my extra. He had extra money. He hands two silver coins to the guy and says, take care of this man. Next verse, he says this. Watch this. If his bill runs higher, I'll pay the next time I'm here. How was this Samaritan able to bless this man? How was he able to take care of him? You know how? He had extra money in his pocket. He had paid all his bills and he was able to take care of his family and he happened to have margin in his budget and so he was able to bless this man. There's so many of us that have the compassionate heart. We would love to help and help a family adopt a child or help send a, a teenager to camp or, or help someone pay their medical bills or help someone cover their rent when, they're, when they've fallen upon hard times. Maybe they lost a job. We, would, we have the heart for it but then when it comes time to write that check or it comes time to pay somebody's bill, we don't have the extra because we've gotten sloppy. We've fallen into some bad habits financially. Some of you are arguing with me right now in your head. I can see it. You're thinking, not me. We're, we're fine. Really? Let me throw a few thoughts at you. And if, you, if a couple of these are true about you, you might need a financial reboot. You ready for this? If at the end of the month you regularly think, where did it all go? <laughs> you might need a reboot financially. <laughs> Okay, if, if you regularly spend more than comes in, you might need a reboot. If your car is worth more than you owe, mm, you might need a financial reboot. <laughs> if you think that paying the minimum payments on your credit card is a great idea, you might need a financial reboot, okay? If you, if you can say to yourself or think to yourself, I wonder if we're saving enough for retirement, you might need a financial reboot in your life. If you don't know how much you owe, all of your debts, and you can say, I don't really know how much it all is, you might need a reboot in your life. If you don't have a way to track your finances, you may need a reboot in your life. If you've got a financial dream but you have no plan, mm, you might need a reboot. If you make $75,000 a year and you still have a lot of stress in your life financially, that's a problem because you're in the top 2% of earners in the entire world and you still have financial stress, you might need a financial reboot. If you've got some spending habits and patterns that you hope your spouse doesn't find out about, <laughs> if you're hiding stuff, wow. You, listen, if you've got some financial habits and patterns and spend that you hope the IRS doesn't find out about, <laughs> if, any, if you were able to say yes to any of that stuff, you may need a financial reboot. So how do we do it? How do we get to the spot where we can you know, get back on track financially? I'm gonna share a couple thoughts with you and then, and then we'll wrap this thing up and, and we'll go home and drink hot chocolate. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> how do we do a financial reboot? Number one, we gotta, do, we gotta start with our heart. We gotta do a heart check. We gotta, we gotta do a heart check. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. In other words, money reveals our values. If I look at your checkbook or you look at my checkbook, you will see where my heart is. What we spend our money on, that's what's most important to us. See, budgeting problems are really priority problems. Do you agree with this? That's what's really going on. And so if we want to fix our money problems, we got to look into our heart and see what's going on. We live in a culture today that says money will give you happiness. Yes or no? You agree with that? 
The, the, the things that, that money can buy will really bring you happiness. So if you can just make more or buy cool stuff, then you will experience happiness. You know what that is? That's idolatry. Because there's no one, there's nothing in this world that will make you happy other than God. And see, it's not money that is evil. It's the what? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Does that make sense? And so when we fall into this trap of loving money or the stuff that money can buy, it disorders our soul. The the Bible says troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. It messes up everything internally. It, It causes all kinds of problems. The number one cause for divorce in this country between husband and wives is money arguments. I wonder why. See, Jesus knew that the number one competitor for our heart is money. He knew it. He knew it wasn't necessarily power or lust or something like that. Now, those things do compete for our heart, right? For the number one spot in our heart. But money trumps them all. How do I know that? Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. The context here is money. For he will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. Watch what he says. You cannot serve both God and money. Basically, he says, if you let money take that spot in your heart, God is going to be pushed out. You cannot love both. You cannot love both God and money. You cannot look to God for ultimate happiness and look to money for ultimate happiness. One will be kicked out. Money is the number one competitor for our hearts. And when it gets that spot, it distorts our whole life. So what do we do? What do we do? we got to do a heart check. Listen to the author of Hebrews. I love it. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us exactly what to do. Keep your life free from the love of what? Money. Get it out. Stay clear from it. Don't fall into that trap. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Be, say it with me, content. Come on, a little bit better. Be content. See, you got to say that word. (laughs) That's not a popular word in America, contentment. That's not how you sell stuff right? You sell stuff by telling people to be discontent with their house, with their car, with their whatever, right? You want them to be, you want them to be unsatisfied and want what you have, right? But the, the, the fastest way to reboot your life, and we'll get to this in a moment, is, is contentment. Now, what's the key to contentment here? What's the, what's the secret? Well, he tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if this is all you get today, you get nothing else. You got to get this. The secret to contentment with with being okay with what you have, your current situation, your clothing, your car, your house, your current, all the things, being content with what you have. The secret is saying, I have God. That's That's the secret. The author of Hebrews says you can be content with what you have because ultimately God is all you need. And when you have God, you don't need anything else. That is incredible. If you look at the book of Psalms, you open up Psalms, you got to read the book of Psalms. Fantastic. What you'll, fee, you, what you'll see is this theme carried all the way through Psalms. It's really all the way through the Bible. That if you have God, you need nothing else. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, he said, I've said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You are my chosen portion. You are my, my refuge. He continues, I have set the Lord always before me. Because you're at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my body dwells secured. I have, that you have shown me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. What was the, what's the idea there? The idea is that I have God. And if I have God, I don't need anything else. He has satisfied my soul. Being content, in your notes there, being content is the fastest way to reboot your life. 
Because, because, and here's why, you gotta get this, because it teaches you to say a very important word, no. <laughs> Isn't that fun? No. No, 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 no. No, no, I don't need that, won't buy that, don't need that, have one of those, don't need a new one, no, no, no. And when you start saying no, see some of you are looking at your spouse right now saying, do you hear him? This is a struggle for all of us. In fact, I wrote this talk, and right after I wrote this talk, my wife called me. She said, hey, could you call me? We got to talk. I was like, what about? It's like, we overspent for the month of December. This is a, why? Because you got holidays, and you got food, and all these. It's, it's hard to keep track of everything. So I'm with you. I'm with you. I need, we, need, we need this just as much as you do, right? No, 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 no. I'm okay with what I have. Now, once we're content, man, that sets you up to be absolutely successful in this area of rebuilding your finances. Because the spending stops. You only, you only spend on what you absolutely need to spend money on. Now you can really get somewhere. So number one is contentment. What's number two? In your notes there, you have to get back on the plan. Or if you're a millennial or a younger folk and you never had a plan in the, to begin with, you gotta start a plan. Any millennials out there, 20-somethings? Financial planning, it's a great idea. It's news. This is, this is something you have to do, right? And uh, so we want to we get back on the plan or we want to start a plan. And now that we've stopped our spending, we can really make progress on this plan. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 21. Fantastic passage. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts leads to poverty. All this means is simply that you got to sit down and think through your plan. Like, we're 25, where, where do we want to be when we're 35? We're 35, where do we want to be financially when we're 45? We're 45, same, and on and on and on. Think through a plan and then work your plan. Hard work. This phrase right here, hard work, is the word diligent. The Hebrew word means consistency over time. We live in such a microwave, internet, quick download. We want everything so fast, don't we? We get impatient when we see the thing on the, going like this. Like, why didn't it happen, you know? And we want things so fast. It, listen, prosperity or abundance or progress doesn't happen like that. It's hard work over time, consistency over time. Nothing, you, you, you don't achieve success in any area of your life without hard work over time. Do you think about your health and fitness or marriage or raising children? Hello, anybody trying to raise some kids? It is consistency over time. I wish we could zap them real quick and make them good kids, but it, we can't. It's, it's hard work over time. That's what, that's what parenting is all about. Why would it work any differently in finances? It doesn't. It's the same idea. You got to have a plan and then you got to work your plan. Now, here's the cool part. I'm going to tell you what the plan is. You don't even have to go out and find one. You're going to learn it right here at church. Isn't that exciting? Anybody excited? <laughs> Let's get into it. Number one, this is God's plan to reboot your finances. Number one, we need to give. Now, as soon as I say give, some of you are going to check out and see, see, this is why I don't come to church. Pastor wants my money. Let me just say something real quick about that, real quick. I don't want your money. In fact, this is, not, this is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. I want for you to be an incredible partner with God. I want you to feel the favor of God upon your life, the way my wife and I do and so many others do, who are following God's plan. That's what I want for you. God doesn't need your money. I, I want God's blessing for you. I want you to feel caught up in his active rule as a blessing machine in this world. That's what I want for you. 
Just get that out of the way. This first step is, takes faith and it's an act of obedience to give. Where do we get it from? We get it from Proverbs. We get it from the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter three, listen to this. Honor the Lord with your what? With your wealth. And the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruit simply means the first portion, the first part of your budget. Before you pay any other bill, you take the top 10% and you give it to the Lord. Back in those days, this was, the, this was a reference to the temple. The temple was basically the, the church for them. The priests lived there. They had the services there. The priests would live off of the first fruits. Okay, That was their job. Their job was to serve God in the temple. They didn't have farms. They didn't have crops. The only way the priests could live and take care of the temple was the first fruits of all the people in the land. That was the practical way that the temple was taken care of and the priests had a way to live, a livelihood. But that's not the real reason why God told the Israelites to give the first fruits. The real reason was to remind them of where the blessings were coming from. See, the Israelites were given the promised land. They didn't earn it. The fields that they had to plant their crops belonged to other people. God gave it to them. And as a way to remind them that everything comes from him, he said, I just want you to return back the first fruits, the first 10%, so that you can be thankful for everything that I've given you, so that you can acknowledge that I'm the blesser of all the blessings in your life. I want to give you a mechanism to remember who's in charge here so that you don't become self-sufficient. Isn't that the tendency that we all have? to kind of rely upon ourselves and think, look what I've done with my own hands. I got this degree and I went to this college and I got this job and I got this promotion and look what I make per year. Ha ha ha, we're Americans, right? It's the same thing with the Israelites. God gave them a mechanism to, to avoid self-sufficiency or trusting in their own crops and their own yield and their own abilities to farm the land. He said, here's what you're gonna do. First thing you do when you get, that pro when you get that, uh, the produce, I want you to cut 10% out, I want you to give it back to the temple to remind you to not become self-sufficient. And when you, and by the way, that applies to us today. How does this place run? I wish we were getting checks from the government. Well, maybe not, but we don't. The way this place runs and the Bandit campus runs and the Griff Franklin campus runs is off of the first fruits, although a lot of people don't give it, right? That's, how, that, that's, that's practical for us today in our world. And God says, when you do that, watch this, when the people give their first fruits, here's my promise, then your barns will be filled with how much? Just enough? No, not just enough. Plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. Somebody says, did he just say wine? Where's the wine? Pass the wine. <laughs> God says, I'm not just going to give you what you need. I'm going to make it so that there's more than you need, so that your cupboards are bursting with ramen noodles or whatever it is that you eat. <laughs> Overflowing, right? That's God's principle. This is all over the Bible. Watch this, Proverbs 11, verse 25. It's just an idea. I could go verse, I could tell you, share 50 verses with you. I'll just share one. The generous person will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. This is a principle. God says, when you decide to be a giver, I will make sure that, I take it, that you are taken care of. Now, I can have 100 people come up here right now. I really could. I could have 100 people come up here and say from this platform, he's right. I've been giving for 10 years. God has made sure that my cupboards are bursting and that there's plenty in my life. But I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna ask you to believe me. Those who are givers, and you know who you are in this church, you know that this is right, and this is a principle of faith, and this is a principle of obedience. Give the first fruits to God, and watch what he does in your life. 
That's God's first, that's the first step in rebooting your finances. What's number two? What's number two? Some of you are like, oh, so glad he's moving on to number two. (laughs) Number two is build your four walls. Build your four walls. This is a principle that I learned from Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's got that, you know, uh, national radio program. It's on every day from three to five. He wrote Financial Peace University. He, he, he gave, gave out the finan- created the Financial Peace uh, class. Some of you have taken that. Many of you have taken that. What Dave is talking about when he says build your four walls are, is your budget. The top four priorities in your budget. Here's what they are. Ready? Number one is food. <laughs> and this is simplistic, but this is unbelievable how many people get this wrong. Buy food for your family. That's number one. Okay, this creates a a very solid, sustainable budget. Number two is your shelter. Make sure you pay your rent. Make sure you pay your mortgage. Make sure that the heat can go on, okay? Top priorities, okay? Number three is your transportation. Make sure you can get to work. (laughs) Make sure you pay your car insurance. Make sure you have gas. Number four is clothing. These are the four top pillars. Remember what I said earlier? Most budget problems are priority problems. We got people in our community going out buying big gulps and cigarettes before they pay their mortgage. You with me? Right? Here's what I'll tell you. Pay your mortgage first, then go get your big gulps and your cigarettes. At least you'll have a place to live. <laughs> Does that make sense? Dave says if you, if you have a full belly, if, if you have a, a warm house, if you've got a way to get to work, if you've got some clothes on your back, you can live to fight another day. Now, I'm not advocating smoking cigarettes. I think it'll kill you. But what I am advocating is that you pay your top priorities first, and then you worry about all the other stuff. Does that make sense? What I'm really talking about is budgeting. Now, if you say, man, I don't have a budget. Where do I get a budget? How do I put a budget together? You can go and use Dave Ramsey's budget sheet. There's a lot of different options out there. But Dave Ramsey's budget sheet, actually, there's a link in your notes there. You can click on it. It's called the zero-based budget. It's the one my wife and I use. It's very effective. And you can get started on using a budget today. Now, let's go back to these four walls really quick because here's where it gets magical. If we look at our four walls, is it possible for us to spend less money on food? Yes or no? Have you, have you ever heard of Aldi? They got Cheerios there. They taste just like the real thing, I promise. We get like three boxes a week. I'm not ashamed. We go to Aldi. We, here's why, because we spend less on food. Right? Is it possible to spend less on shelter? Yeah? What do you think? Less rent? Less on mortgage? Absolutely it is. Is it possible to cut your costs in transportation? The average car payment in America is like $450, really? Can you cut your costs on a, car, on a car? Can you sell your car and drive something cheaper? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about? That's a struggle. I like shoes. <laughs> you know, I like a good pair of jeans. I, like, I, mean, I do, I like, it's fun. But could I spend less? Absolutely. Now here's what's magical. When you start to shave some money off of this, guess what happens? Remember this? you start to create something called margin. And margin is the secret to our next step. It's the secret to really rebooting your finances. Well, first of all, it's contentment. I'm content with less, so I shave some money off my four walls. I get some of this thing called margin. Now I'm positioned perfectly to do step number three, which is to pay off your debts. Pay off your debt. The Bible tells us super clearly that the borrower is the slave to the lender. The borrow, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The borrower is the slave to, you say, slave, what does that mean? It means that when you're walking down the side of the road and you see somebody bloodied up and beat up and busted and they need help and you would love to help because you have a heart of compassion, but you don't have any extra and you're handcuffed 
and you can't help. That's slavery. When someone else is telling you what you can and cannot do with your money, that's financial bondage. Does that make sense? Because you owe, you know, Freddie Mac and Sally Mae and whatever their names are. <laughs> or Visa or MasterCard or American Express. You would love to be able to help, but you are strapped in financial bondage. Pay off your debts. How am I going to pay off my debts? You created margin in step two. You were content and you shaved money off of your four walls, off of your budget. Now, a lot of times we don't pay off our debts because we don't have intensity. We don't hate the debt. Dave Ramsey says you have to be gazelle intense. What does that mean? It means if you've ever seen a gazelle run from a cheetah, it's pretty intense. The cheetah goes 65 miles an hour. The gazelle is running for his life. Don't you agree? He says that's the type of intensity you need when you're trying to get out of debt. I love what Sherry Lowe said in her book, Slaying the Debt Dragon. She actually attends our church here, and she was recently on Focus on the Family with her husband talking about getting out of debt. One of the things that she says about getting out of debt, which really is, it speaks to the issue of urgency and, and, and uh, the, the, yeah, basically the urgency that you need. She says, if you want to win uh, over debt, you must make the battle personal. I love this. She says, debt is a disease. Debt is your enemy. Debt wants to destroy you. Debt wants to kill your marriage. That's pretty intense. Debt wants to wreck your children. Debt wants to control your day-to-day -day purchases. Debt wants to steal away your joy. Debt wants to damage your health. Above all else, debt wants you to keep, to keep you from being generous, a poor partner with God. Doesn't that make you mad? Well, not really, you might say. Okay, well, let me try again. Let's place, replace the word debt with Fred. Fred Johnson. Listen to this. Fred Johnson is a disease. Fred Johnson is your enemy. Fred Johnson wants to destroy you. Fred Johnson wants to kill your marriage. Fred Johnson wants to wreck your children. Fred Johnson wants to control your day-to-day -day purchases. Fred Johnson wants to steal your joy. He wants to damage your health. And above all else, Fred Johnson wants to keep you from being generous. Who's ready to take to the streets and run Fred Johnson's underwear up a flagpole screaming, freedom, Braveheart style? Fred Johnson has got one coming. Someone needs to knock out this guy's teeth. No one messes with your family. How dare the, this interloper, Fred Johnson, meddle with your marriage? And who is Fred Johnson to tell you how you can live your life or how you can spend your money? The small act of personifying your debt makes your soul cry out, that's not right, this bully must be stopped. Don't you love it? <laughs> You got to get intense when it comes to paying off debt. You got to get angry. You have to make it personal in your life. And what happens then, after you pay off your debt using something called the debt snowball, you say, what's that? It's a tool that Dave Ramsey and others have, have used and taught. It's an incredible tool. It's something my wife and I have used to get out of debt. After you use the debt snowball and you use your margin to get free from that debt, step four becomes possible in our lives. And that is saving and investing. What do you do with the money after you're out of debt? By the way, that little margin that you had, remember earlier, you shaved some margin off your budget and you had a couple of hundred dollars extra? Now you've got like $700 because you paid off your car, you paid off a student loan, or you pay off a credit card. By the way, the average credit card debt in America right now per family is 14 grand. Your credit card bills are gone, right? Now, you, now this, this $200 has turned into 700 or 800. What do you do with that money? Well, you save it and you invest it. How much do you save? Three to six months. That's what the experts say. You have a one-income family, you try to save six months. You have two incomes in your household, you try to save six months. Three months, sorry. After you're done saving three to six months, what do you do then? You invest it. You talk to a financial advisor. Somebody knows who they're talking about. And you go into your 401k, your 403b, or mutual funds, or maybe you invest in some real estate. And you work with some professionals, and you put that money into investments. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 21. 
The wise, the wise, not the rich. Everybody thinks you have to have money, a lot of money to have wealth and luxury. No, 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 you just have to have some wisdom to be content, to pay off your debts, right? To do some of these things, to give. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. What does that mean? Paycheck to paycheck. Money comes in, money goes out. You're dead broke. You lose a job, you're in big trouble. No emergency fund. No extra. This is an issue of wisdom. This isn't an issue of making more money. Does it help sometimes to get a part-time job to make a little bit more money to pay off the debt? Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm talking about over a long period of time, this is an issue of wisdom. And when you have enough wisdom to, to, to do what the scriptures say, to be content, to get on a plan, to give, to reduce your expenditures because you are content, to pay off your debts, to take 10, 15% and invest it over time, here's what's gonna happen in the end. You're gonna have a bunch of extra money so that you can go on vacation for six months of the year? No. So you can buy a Lexus? No. So you can do this or that? Would that wealthy people do? And no. This is not about getting rich. This is about, like Dave Ramsey says, this is about living like no one else so that one day you can give like no one else. This is about being an incredible partner with God. This is about being the type of person who's walking down the road and God taps you on the shoulder and says, see that guy over there? He's bleeding. He's hurting. He needs help. You help him. Okay, Lord. Okay. Here's what I got. What does he need? $100? Okay. Hey, let me help you. That's what this is about. It's about you being an incredible partner with God. You managing your finances so well that you have a bunch of extra so that when God decides to bless somebody, he can use you to do it, to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember what we said a few moments ago? This series is about you, but it's not about you. This is about what type of partner are you? Do you have energy to do the good deeds he's called you to do? Do you have extra money to do the good things that he's called you to do? That's what this series is all about. What kind of partner are you with God? My challenge to you today is just to be wise. Take some of these ideas. Take some of these principles so that you can become a, a bless, literally a blessing machine. I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with a quick story. Somebody here locally in our church, his name is Greg Colbo. He's married to a wonderful gal named Kat. And uh, several years ago, and you may have heard their story before, several years ago, they were just living a normal American life, you know, two jobs, credit card bills, car payments, raising three kids. Kat said that, you know, basically as long as they could make their payments, they felt like they were doing okay. And that's pretty average for Americans. And they, they were actually in a different church at this time in their life. And uh, what happened, what ended up happening is someone within their church ended up uh, coming, coming down with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And it was a friend of theirs, and so they felt compassion, of course, and, and so they wanted to help out, and so they jumped in, and they started to, you know, do fundraisers. And when you have ALS, you need all kinds of expensive things, like wheelchairs and special cars and very expensive stuff. And so they jumped in and tried to help. But when it came time for them to actually pitch in financially, they looked at each other and said, we can't help. They gave their time, they gave their minds, they gave their hearts, but they couldn't give any of their resources. And it was at that time that Greg decided, they both decided, enough was enough. We don't want to be so trapped 
enslaved by our bills and our car loans and our credit card bills that when, there's, when someone comes down with a disease, we are unable to help them get a wheelchair. They had had enough. And so they, went, they decided they went into a three-and-a-half-year period of intensity. They took the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. They paid off all of their consumer debt in three-and-a-half years. Then, of course, they went down to uh, Atlanta to see Dave himself. And when you pay off your debt, you can go down there and you can scream on his show, you know, we're debt-free. So here, here's a picture of them. That they went down there. That's Dave in the middle and it's Greg and that's Kat. They went down there and they screamed, we're debt-free and totally changed their life. No payments. So when I met Greg, the first time I met him, and somebody said to me, yeah, you know, Greg and, you know, this guy over here, and he wants to kind of donate some of his time to the church. I was like, okay, you know. That's great. Love that. It's awesome. No, no, you don't understand. He wants to, like, work here for free. I said, okay, that's cool. Like, what's the situation? Well, he didn't have any payments. He didn't have any debt. So he can actually work at the church for free. Wow, how do you do that? Dave Ramsey class, all this. Stuff. Okay, great. So we set him up here. Greg, I don't even know where we put you. I think we put you in a cubicle somewhere. I'm not sure. Greg's actually here today. <laughs> And he worked at the church for eight months, and we didn't pay him a dime. It was beautiful. <laughs> now he's the campus pastor at Franklin, and he's still working for free. <laughs> no, he's not. No, we pay him now. But uh, um, it's just, what, it just hit me like, what could you do with your life if you had no debt? If you organize your life the way God tells us, like, this stuff works. Like, you, you might be sitting there thinking, I can't do that. Yes, you can. This, it, you don't have to be rich to do this. You just have to have wisdom. You have to have contentment. you got to get on a plan. you got to work that plan. you got to give. you got to do. You do that over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It took them three and a half years to pay off all their debt. You can do this. You can become a blessing machine. You can get to the point in your life where you're able to give your time away for free and bless other people. Do you believe that? I do. My challenge to you today is to reboot your finances, to become a great partner with God so that when God taps you on the shoulder, you can say, yes, sir, I'm here. Use me. Let me close by talking about another debt. We talked about debt today. We talked about paying off your debt. The debt I want to close with talking about is a debt that, that you actually couldn't pay, that no one can pay. And that's the debt that every single one of us come into this world with. It's the debt that's created by sin. Every single one of us come into this world broken, sinful. It's the problem with the world today. And we can try to fix it on our own, and some people do, and a lot of religions get, get created because of this, what people know intuitively is that something's wrong inside. So we create a religion to try to fix it and try to reach back up to God and earn our way back to heaven. A lot of people think if you just do good deeds or if you just be a good person and go to church and do these different things and obey God's rules, that maybe that gap that was created could be fixed. But that's a debt that no religion or amount of good works could ever pay back. And that is why God sent Jesus Christ into this world. Jesus Christ didn't come to create a religion. That's not why he came. He came to pay a debt. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is about him doing for you what you could not do for yourself. It's about him paving a way for you and I to reconnect with God. And so he came to this earth and he died on a cross to pay the, the debt of sin that was held against you and I. And that's what the cross is all about. And not only did he die, but he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death, fully satisfying the demands of the law. See, the law said that, that someone's got to pay. God doesn't just sweep sin under the carpet. Listen to me. He doesn't just overlook sin. He doesn't. He can't. He's holy. He can't just look the other way. Someone had to pay for all the murder, all the deceit, all the lies, all the hatred, all the stuff that's in my heart and in your heart. Someone had to pay. Jesus paid. He died so that you didn't have to. That's why he came. Not to set up a religion, but to pay the debt held against you and I. And that's what Christianity is all about. Some of you right now, for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, it just clicked. I get it. It's not about coming to church and being a good person and reading my Bible and being all, doing all these good things so that maybe I can go to heaven when I die. No, 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 no. It's about accepting the payment for the debt that was held against you and putting your confidence in Jesus and telling him that you believe in him and you trust him, becoming his child. If you would like to step into that right now, if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, if you'd like to accept his gift of forgiveness, you could just pray. Put your faith in him. I'm going to lead you in the prayer. I'll give you the words. And again, it's not the words, it's your faith in your heart that makes all the difference. Maybe, maybe right now you'd close your eyes and bow your head, knowing that this moment is created for you, designed for you. If it is, if you feel God tugging on your heart, if you finally get it, you finally understand it, reach out to, in faith right now. Express your confidence to God by saying these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you paid the debt for me, a debt I could not pay. I believe you died for me and that you rose again so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be cleansed. I trust you. I love you. And from this day forward, help me to, to partner with you to fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love, love, love for you on your way out to walk back to one of these tables over here and grab a one-year New Testament. Here's why we want you to have this as a gift, free of charge, is so that you can begin walking with God in a new relationship with him. That's what it is. It's not a religion. You didn't join a religion. You didn't even join a church. If you want to join our church, that's fine. That's a whole separate issue. <laughs> not a big deal. What's most important is that you started a relationship with Christ. And you need to learn how to walk with him and talk with him and hear his voice. And the primary way that you walk with him and you hear his voice is through the word of God. And so that's why we're so passionate about you grabbing a one-year New Testament. You say, man, I already have a Bible. That's fine. Keep that one. Go get one of these as well. It's broken down into little five-minute five readings that, that, that coincide with the dates. 
We all read this. Most, a lot of us read this through the year. I read these same passages every day. So go grab one of these on your way out if you pray to receive Christ today. Can we give the Lord a hand today? Glory, what he's done. This, is, this, this, this talk is not about what I want from you. This is, what about, this, is, this is all about what I want for you. I want you to be an incredible partner with God. I want for you to be in a situation where you have so much extra money that when God taps you on the shoulder and says, look at her over there. Look at that family over there. Hey, the church is trying to build wells in Nicaragua. Hey, the church is trying to do a, a Franklin campus, you know, over there. That you'd be able to say, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, I, I've been saving. I have extra. Here, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this. Does that make sense? That's what I want for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for laying out your plan, your financial plan for us. Help us to have the wisdom to put into action so that we can set ourselves up to be the best partner that we can be to fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week, really quick, actually, before you walk out, we are going to be talking about rebooting our spiritual life. You're not going to want to miss it. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.